Welcome to Out of Game episode 23. In today's episode, we discuss some upcoming games from amazing IPs, describe the typical life cycle of a hobby board gamer, and debate the merits of points-based versus level-based RPGs. This is your host, Ryan. Join me, Chris, and Tim as we go out of game. Welcome to episode 23 of Out of Game. 23. This is Ryan. This is Chris. And this is Tim. Still a podcast about board games. About what? Did I say board games? Yeah. Let's start that out again. Still a podcast about board games. Board games. Although you may not know it after listening to this episode. That's true. And after last episode of all the puzzles. <laughs> so, yeah, about, we didn't even talk about games last time. We talked about puzzles. We were a maps. podcast about puzzles and RPGs. <laughs> <laughs> RPGs. If you can't beat them, join them. Chris and Tim have been uh, a little antsy lately to talk about RPGs, so I thought we'd just give them some free reign this episode. It's been a while. Just go to town, guys. Get out of your system. And then, you know, we get back to episode 24 and talk about board games. You can always kick you guys off. I think this is going to be more about (laughs) Ryan and Tim. (laughs) Really? Oh, really? Huh. That's interesting. Stay stay tuned. Just a prediction. Foreshadowing. But before we jump into all that, let's jump into the spawn point. Spawn point. Chris, what's going on? Sort of fitting in with the RPG theme. Uh, I wanted to ask your guys' opinion on what you think in a role-playing game, if you're in a situation where you're running a campaign, and this is relevant to the current campaign we're in, the Alvron campaign, just at a high level, the concept of the group having sort of a main mission that's not forced, but maybe forced or at least guided by the GM versus... Just leaving it open-ended, you know, give them plenty to do, plenty of NPCs, plenty of potential missions, and they can pick and choose what they want to do. I think there needs to be some overarching goal. That's the cohesiveness that keeps the players going, and there's this end goal that you track to. And it can be littered with hundreds of side adventures that occur, but there still needs to be that overarching goal. And that's, that is what the whole campaign is about, right? That's kind of like when the campaign ends is probably when that goal is reached and is the journey from there to there that can just be all over the place. But I, I think you need that. You goal. need to have a little bit of... I uh, think you need that direction. And you know, you can kind of keep subtly pushing people back onto that path and even other side adventures can kind of lead back into that path, but I think that path needs to be there. Yeah. I completely agree because we've had a campaign before where the as the players, it felt very open-ended, but then over time, we just felt like we were spinning our wheels the whole time. And we needed some sort of direction. And the players had to feel like they're accomplishing something. When they, when they enter a session, when they leave that session, they have to feel like something was accomplished towards like their main goal or objective. And if they don't get that feeling, it feels like you failed. And it's frustrating. And that happened to us in one campaign multiple sessions in a row. Mm -hmm. And we had email chain after email chain, like, okay, this is what we're gonna do next time. Let's let's get on track. Let's try and then like those things just for whatever reason led to dead ends or just didn't work out how we anticipated. And it became not fun. Right. (laughs) And so yeah, I definitely think you need some some kind of guiding direction, not Railroading, but guiding, gently yeah. guiding. 
Yeah, so the reason I'm asking is in the current campaign we're in, we're at the a crossroads that I've realized as the GM of this game. The group kind of stalled and they're waiting for direction. And we've, like yeah. Ryan said, we've had this problem before and it was in my campaign, so I remember it. <laughs> and it was a lesson learned. I mean, sometimes you just don't know until these things happen. That you can throw as many quests at the group as you want, but they need to sort of be forced at least toward one. Right. Something that's important in Maine. And you'll be happy to know that we're good. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. That's good to know. And I think one way to accomplish that is... If they don't act on something, there should be some kind of negative consequences that they know about. And they it, it would occur to them that the reason such and such happened, such this bad thing happened in the campaign is because you failed to act on that quest. You know, the world keeps moving. This is something that Chris is really good at. The world keeps moving no matter if the players interact with it or not. So if they don't do a quest, either someone else will do it. Or it won't. It just won't happen, and the situation will get worse, etc. Something eventually would drive the players to want to go take care of that issue, whatever right. it is. Well, and then another problem is we have a big group, so yeah. making a decision on what path to take is a non-trivial task. So, you know, as an example, there's kind of a culmination of the last few sessions where there was a a show, a performance that was taking place. And there was going to be an event there. That event didn't happen because of something the group did. The players in-game decided to abandon these guys because they were afraid that there was something um, a, a Something up. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they were right about that, but they, they may have miscalculated the severity of not being there. But the interesting thing is it created a situation where there is a, a new hazard on the map hmm. because of this that's changed the course of the whole campaign. But, you know, what, what do we do about it? And so we spent a lot of time last session debating, we meaning the, the in-game players. Yeah. And so um, instead of the floundering that could take place, there is going to be a council to determine what to do. Which is good. I think that's, yeah, that's when the NPCs definitely need to start yeah. pushing the characters. Because, yep. you know, having the open world is great, but then you get to the point where, you know, you're a kid, it's summer break finally, and then you all start around, what do you want to do? Right. I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> I don't know. What do you want? Well, the do? difference is, though, there's a lot to do, but you, you can't decide what is the best thing right. to do because everybody's got their own agenda. I know it's spawn point, just throwing the question out there. Yeah, well, that was a short one compared to a lot of Ryan. So, oh, yeah, I got a list coming up here. Yeah, he's got like, oh. I see I'm done. Like <laughs> so, uh, yeah, actually, mine's kind of actually along the role playing line, funny enough, too. I've been doing a lot of work on my uh, Hearst Arts stuff. So I've been building a little what? dynamic. Uh, my Hearst Arts, you know the I the, the that Dungeon is. Stone. I'll just call it Dungeon Stone. Sounds like you're speaking another language. Hearst Arts. There There's a lot of S's in there. So I've been working on uh, my little kind of uh, dynamic inset. So it's just uh, you know kind of a bunch of rooms and halls that you can kind of put together in any kind of in style that you want. Okay. Uh, and then I've been working on my eight inch giant tower. The thing is probably. At full height, about two and a half feet tall by eight inches around. So the thing is gargantuan. And um, I've got it constructed in such a way that it has basically three stories into it. And then you can take apart those stories and rearrange things. And then the top could either be an open top with like ramparts or it can have a nice big roof on it. So literally I can build eight different towers with this one tower by just switching sections in and out and stuff like that. So I have short and stubby or I can go, you know, full height. So... 
wrapping that up, uh, going to have to start painting that soon, which will be the, the next thing. Chris, do you ever feel like less of a man when we're talking to Tim? All the time. <laughs> we haven't been talking about construction yet. I'm just, it's, I, I, I have the problem. I have way too many hobbies. I just, I enjoy so many different various things from mini painting to magic to building this kind of stuff to, you know, it's, yeah, but you're it's like, insane. you're like at home building two foot towers out of, you know, I don't even like dental, pla- it's dental plaster. plaster. It's dental plaster. And I'm like, I get a kick out of like bagging up components in plastic bags. I mean, yeah. like what we're doing with our, with our spare time. <laughs> There's a huge gap there. It's the man gap. I'm failing. Well, I, I, I have gotten several games of uh, Candyland and Shoots and Ladders in as well. So yeah, my my daughter is just she just gets going on that stuff, and she just she actually like three nights ago. It was it was late. Jess and I were both tired. We're sitting on the couch. And she's like, I want to play Candyland. I want to play Candyland. And we're like, oh, Sam, it's just, it's 7.30. We're both, we're, we're trashed. She's like, I'll move your piece for you. Oh, boy. And this is like she, me playing the Magic yeah, Number games. And, and basically, that's what it was. It became a solo game of her using three Candyland pieces, drawing all the cards, telling us what colors we got, and then moving our pieces for us. <laughs> so we kind of got to sit there and relax, and she pretty much played Candyland by herself. Did you feel guilty And then afterwards? told us who won. I did feel guilty afterwards. <laughs> Because she's like, Sad. you won, Daddy. Good job. And then, oh, I won. And then she'd come over and give me a high five. And- Tim's still found a way to win. All right. <laughs> <laughs> even not even involved in the game. Oh, my, oh my God. God. So, yeah. yeah. And then she actually, she actually pointed out she wanted to play a little bit of Flick em Up. So I told her we'll, we'll do that uh, this weekend. Okay. So here's a little tip for any parents out there that have Candyland. Including Tim. Yeah. I thought, I've, I thought I've mentioned this tip before. Maybe I should bring it up again. Maybe. Here's what you do. You take out the last pink card. All right. So you know the how there's the pink. Pink card. Yeah. Well, in my game, they're pink. They're the like the special cards that you jump to when you draw them. They're not candy? Yeah, they're candy. They're pink. They have a pink background. Oh, okay. So you want to take out the ice cream cone. Well, there's like there's like eight of these cards, right? And they're all over the board. And the thing that makes the game annoying is that you For could sure. draw. Well, mine has eight. Whoa, you got the advanced Candyland. So you can draw one of those in a community. We're talking about Candyland. You could jump back (laughs) to the beginning. Okay. Yeah. So what you do is you take out the last one, the one that's furthest up the track. Furthest up the track? Like closest to the beginning or closest to the end? (laughs) Closest to the end. Okay. (laughs) All right. And then you take half of the actual cards and you shuffle those with the rest of the candy cards. Okay. And then you stick that final candy card on the bottom of that pile. Put it on top of the rest of the cards. So what happens is you play for about 15 minutes. You draw cards, and then you eventually get to that final candy card. It jumps someone almost all the way to the end of the track. They draw a few more colors, and the game's over. Yeah, but what, stack that, the deck. what that doesn't solve is she wants to play seven more times. <laughs> okay. We, we literally did a dozen games of Candyland in a row one time. And then finally, we're like, okay, Sam. Tim, you need some new games. Time for bed. You need to read the email I sent you with yes, all the I, games. I do need to. Well, the flick them up. I, I got to get her going to flick them up because she loves that. So okay. that, that'll be a little more. I've had my fair share of Candyland yes, games. So. Yeah. Me too. Can, but it's been a while. It's been a while. We'll have to get you back involved. Okay. Next time you come over, we'll do a pre-Candyland game before we get downstairs. All right. You can do that. I'll pick up Evan. I pick him up because his games are on the top shelf. And I'm like, which game do you want to play? And he'll point and say that one. And I'll go this one, and I'll point to every single game except Candyland, hoping he'll say yes. And then when I get to Candyland, he say, "Yeah!" It's like, uh, wow. 
Oh, I mean, I'm awesome. buying these games from like Germany and stuff to play them, and he wants to play Candyland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So my spawn point is mostly news items, but wanted to um, just vent a bit Uh-oh. about. So you know, I, I, I've mentioned before my Grail game was El Grande, and then I finally they finally re-released it this year. Yeah. And it's like a big box, supposed to be a deluxe version of the game, and it's in a huge box. They didn't really change the art or anything. They put a lot of expansions in the box. Here's the problem I have. There are two cards in this game that are misprinted, which would be fine, which would be okay normally. But here's the thing that's annoying. Instead of fixing this, they just put a reference in the rule book (laughs) saying that there's two misprinted cards and just shipped it like that. So this is extremely annoying because this game is expensive. Yeah, They didn't change anything. They just threw some expansions in. They put it in a box that's probably four times the size it needs to be to hold everything. And then they have two misprinted cards with just a rules reference telling you that they're misprinted. I wonder what you guys thought about that. If well, that's something they caught pre-release and it being the grande release, they should have done a reprint run of those cards and subbed them in. Yeah. Or at worst case... If they had run a bunch of things already, ship those out, sell those, but then print those cards correctly and get those out to the buyers. Yeah. Either that or offer a discount. Okay. So it's not just me being OCD. This well, is a problem. I, I, I think it's probably you're making probably a bigger deal about it than I would, but I get that because it's a special release, you know, you get it right. Well, especially if, if they had the time to get it right in the rule book to tell you that there's wrong cards. It means they've caught it. And here's yeah, the I'm problem. I'm assuming it's more expensive to reprint the cards. Yeah, the misprint it itself actually makes the cards do something they're not supposed to. It's not like they're printed off center or something like that. It's like the text is wrong yeah. and needs to be errated with rules. Yeah, that's. And instead of errating, like fixing the cards or the text, they just put a reference to it in the rule book, which. If you know how to play the game, no one's reading the rule book. Right. When they get this big box, they're just going to put it down and play. So I'm I'm pretty annoyed about this. I, I would be with you on that camp. That's okay, especially since you're you know it is a big box. You're 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 spending a lot of money on it. They should have it right. I mean, nah. there's another issue too. This is a the insert. They put these tabs on it, so you like snap the board into place in the insert, and the tabs damage my board. So not sure how no one caught that in quality control. But I posted on BoardGameGeek asking if anyone else had this problem ever. And I've had multiple responses saying, yeah, I had this too. I had to, Some people are saying they had to remove the insert or like yeah. push the tabs in. I actually cut them out of mine. So now I have this $80 game that has big holes in the insert that I had to cut out. So I mean, I, I can see that one slipping through because it's not like they're going to put the board in and out 80,000 times to test quality. It's not a car. They're not opening and closing the doors a thousand times. <laughs> they should be. So uh, that one, yeah, that's kind of one of those bad things. So anyway, not too happy with Z-Man Games about this one. Uh, but Z-Man Games, you know, if you want to send us games or something, I'm sure I can overlook it. Ecosystem. Ecosystem? So, Is this like a bat thing? <laughs> I posted about this on Facebook. I think that's where I posted it. But uh, So Rob Davio, the guy who d- invented the legacy system, is working on something called the Ecosystem, which is multiple legacy games that link together to form one giant legacy campaign. So this sounds like Chris's unique blazing place. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have no idea what you just said. It's trying to keep it PG. I don't even understand. Okay. It's, it's like saying. Chris having to play Pandemic Legacy campaign oh. followed by 
Caverna legacy followed by this just to get to the end of the game, and it just sounds okay. like oh, blazing utter H E. Yeah, double hockey sticks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that sounds like Chris's worst nightmare. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so uh, what this means is you play through a legacy game. Uh, the first game is called Origins, I believe. Yeah, Chronicles Origins. At the end of that legacy game, you've developed different races. And then based on whatever happened with those races, the next game in the series, those races kind of start off as the starting races with all whatever sounds like whatever abilities or whatever civilization or whatever they had. It carries over into the next game. And then that's the beginning of another legacy game. And then you play through that. And then... Again, it continues on to the next game and the next game. I think they said there's going to be nine games Holy cow. in the series. This is like the George Lucas of games. And I feel like it's pretty ambitious. I'm a little worried they can't pull it off. but George Cun. Because <laughs> like, what they're saying is they've been in, this has been in development for a while. And what keeps happening is they'll find an issue in like game three. And it has some exponential bad negative impact on like game nine. So then they have to go rejigger all the games backwards to fix whatever issue they found. So I'm not, I don't know if they can pull it off. Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know. I think it's a cool idea. I don't know who would be doing this. <laughs> it sounds interesting as heck to me. I mean, it sounds I mean, interesting, but geez. But I can imagine there's just so many permutations and combinations. How are you going to not have something that gets broke at some point? You know, magic eroded a card because it was became a scenario where it just became broken so they just said hey can't play with that car anymore this game you wouldn't right you won't be able to do it because now you've spent all this time nurturing this race or something and now it's you know yeah. it's so crazy that it's just it's broke the rest of the games yeah they're not going to catch everything yeah. yeah well so what they're saying is at least from the interview i watched they're saying that each game could just be picked up and played independently somehow they're they're building that into the game so the games aren't reliant on each other which is probably a good business <laughs> just well, business yeah. reason too but I, I mean my concern would be like let's say you were like five games in and then game six was horrible and then you would feel compelled to complete well, the you, legacy campaign you definitely would well who wouldn't though if you've yeah. if you've invested time in playing five consecutive legacy games yeah. i mean if these are the length of the legacy games that are out now that's going to take like five years and then one of the games is horrible you're stuck playing that game for a year and then hoping the next game will be good. I, I mean, it's almost like reading a series of books. Like I'm reading wheel of time right now. I'm almost done, but there were a couple books in there that were really painful to get through horrible, but yeah, I walked out of that movie, by the way. <laughs> I heard that, uh, but you feel like you have to get through it. And in my case, I know from my friends telling me that which books were bad. So I was kind of prepared for it and I know that it picks back up, but still, I don't know. It's it's an interesting concept though. Yeah. And I I don't know, I don't know if they can pull it off. Another amazing game that's coming out, Chris. This is specifically for you. I put this on the agenda for you. Whoa. Since you are the weather, what do you call the weather? Severe weather spotter. Yeah, what's the what's the geek name for it? Weather nerd? Weather nerd is fine. You're a weather nerd. Yes, WS. Sharknado the board game <laughs> is oh, coming out. God. So let me read the description here. Sharknado, based on the Sharknado movie franchise on the Sci-Fi Channel, is a cooperative design that features multiple scenarios and everything you'd expect on this game's origins, including chainsaws, bombs, loss of limbs, and, of course, plenty of hungry sharks. Wow. 
Sharknado's made it to the board game industry. <laughs> it's co-op though already, so that's it's just, that just like it's a puzzle. Scenario-based yeah. co-op game, Sharknado. Is there a hidden goal? I don't know. You want to play it? No. <laughs> Maybe we could get a review copy. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Mark like Cuban s- is the president. I, I just I'm just curious if that sparks your interest at all. <laughs> no, not not even remotely. Do you think the Sharknado could happen? In real no, life? it cannot. Being a weather person? I, <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to be a weather person to answer well, that. Well, maybe you have some, some secret expertise that we're not aware of. No, they, they're... They <laughs> cannot happen. <laughs> I actually watched... I think there's three of them that are out. Yeah, I watched the fourth one coming out. Of course you did. Yeah. How about Twister? You, do you like Twister? Actually, I do like Twister. Yeah. Not to goof on it. You know, Sharknado, you watch and you goof on yeah. it. Twister is actually a pretty classic movie. I like Twister. That was a good movie. Yeah. What's the best weather movie? Well, they came out with one last year, but I can't remember the name of it. It wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> that doesn't answer the question. The woman from uh, Walking Dead was in there. Oh, uh, the one, the one lady in Walking Dead, the, the Rick's wife from oh, the beginning, Lori. Yeah, I don't know her celebrity name. She was in uh, Prison Break. She too. was in Prison Break. Yeah, okay. she was. She was the female lead. There was a couple people in. Bad movie. I think Twister is probably the best weather movie. I mean, there's not a lot of them out there. What about the Perfect Storm? Perfect Storm was dumb. <laughs> it's perfect. It's been enough years. I can just say, you know, everybody dies in it. It's stupid. <laughs> George Clooney on a boat. I can't even think of any other weather movies. Well, there's um, Day After Tomorrow. Isn't that like a apocalyptic? Non- yeah, that's not really the weather. That's true. Some sci-fi. Well, how many stuff. how many stories can you do with the weather? Yeah, we're getting way off topic. Yeah, we are. Uh, this is. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Sharknado, the board game. I, I'm going to request a copy of that game. Oh I think my <laughs> nephew would like that. That's He's in the league in the of Sharknados. You know, with the the celebrity status of our podcast, that's right in line with the types of games we can probably get review copies <laughs> I'm of. I'm sure. So maybe we'll give it a try. And then lastly, and speaking of games that only magnificent, amazing podcasts could get review copies of, the Goonies Adventure Card Game. You called that. I did. I'll give you that. Apparently, I'm not the only one who's wanting this, although apparently there's people who want Sharknado, the board game. Uh, But this is another cooperative game where you play as a ragtag group of kids from the Goondocks neighborhood of Astoria, Oregon. So I am definitely interested in this one. Yeah, I wanted to give a shout out. There was somebody on Twitter that was with you on that. Yeah. But I can't remember her name. Yeah, she, she 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 also wanted a Goonies game. Jessica Wade. Jessica Wade. Jessica Wade um, kind of gave her opinion on on the Goonies game as a good thing. That's right. So she knows what's up. She called it. You called it. I don't get it personally. I but if I'm going to play, I have to be Chuck. That's all I know. Going to defeat the Fertellis. Get One Eyed Willie's treasure. Seriously, is the the Goonies the Goondocks are going to be destroyed, Chris? Okay, we have to stop this. Was it that classic of a movie? Yes, it's board game worthy. This, this, well, I don't know board game worthy but it's it's one of those classic ones for sure oh so tim likes the goonies I, I'm, I'm all in for the goonies yeah i remember when yeah. we met sam yeah you Sh- asked, asked him was gonna make uh, his real name <laughs> sam hey mr gamgee huh <laughs> call him sam because he didn't like me <laughs> i mixed it up with him so you i remember you asked yeah they're yeah. gonna make a goonies sequel. A goonies too yeah uh, maybe he'll yeah. come back now since they're making a board game he could be the dad i don't know he could, no i mean yeah. i i mean that we'll have sam what's his name <laughs> well the sean astin. sean astin we'll have sean astin be a, a celebrity guest again at gen con because of the goonies adventure board game adventure car game i should say oh it's yeah. a card game yeah it's cooperative though 
co-op. Well, just don't game. just like don't bring grizzle. him a card to have him sign it. He's not going to like doing that. He doesn't like signing cards. No, he only signs the autographed pictures. You give him a card to sign. Oh. he'll give you an annoyed look and then look at his agent. <laughs> like I, I thought we we communicated this. But he's Sam Gamgee. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Maybe he had the ring, no, and it was making him evil. He's an attitude. <laughs> the no, evil. I just I just remember. Paying for an autograph, you got one. But if you stood in the line for the free ones, they'd sign as much as you wanted. So it was like total reverse of what I would think. You right. figure free, you get one. You pay, you get as many as you want. Yeah, I paid. So yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you could sign my card. So I paid. Future signers at Gen Con, and if you pay, sign more than one. If it's free, give them one and tell them to hike. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Side note, Sam is the true hero of The Hobbit, yes. Lord of the Rings. He actually was in the book. He can't carry the ring, but he'll carry you. <laughs> Which technically is carrying the ring. (laughs) It's kind of a loophole that Sauron didn't consider. (laughs) Just just put the ring around someone's neck. They'll be inherently evil, but Sam can just carry him to Mount Doom. Honestly, why didn't those winged eagles just fly them to Mount Doom from the beginning? (laughs) (laughs) Just summon them from Reventhal. <laughs> they were it might have been I don't know this spring like, season or something. If Mystery yeah. Science Building Theater nests. watched Lord of the Rings, you know, I, I was watching them thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> these eagles. eagles, they're there to they take them home. Them up Where were they in Revendell? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't get the messenger. That's what happened. They sent messengers out for the meeting in Rivendell, and the, the, oh, Gandalf <laughs> needed to do the thing with the moth. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys. We don't need this fellowship. <laughs> they don't have a moth. <laughs> Freaking elves don't have any moths. That's probably what happened. was off smoking the long bottom leaf. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, Are we're we keeping any of that? <laughs> we're way off topic. <laughs> Where the heck were we? <laughs> I think we're ready for fake it yeah. till we make it. <laughs> oh my god! Was that the rest of your spawn point? Were you? Yeah. Okay, I'm done. So now it's time for fake it till we make it. To be a great champion, you must believe you are the best. If you're not, pretend you are. So we thought we'd throw in some actual board game topics. Well, at least one board game question. (laughs) So I'm going to read the question. (laughs) Question one, Ryan. When playing a game for the first time, how do you determine the number of players? Do you play with the maximum number, the minimum, or whoever happens to show up? This is what I would do. If I know the game before we play it, I'll typically go out to Board Game Geek and I will check the recommended player count. So... That usually doesn't, it will, it will actually tell you the optimal number of players and it's based on fan votes, you know, on Board Game Geek. So that's one way to find out the optimal number of players. And it also tells you recommended. And then, so you know, if it doesn't fall into one of those two, that you shouldn't do it. And a lot of times, you know, there's games that will say, for example, that it plays with two players, but then you'll, I'll look and I'll notice that two players isn't listed on the recommended. So that tells me that the two-player version of the game is probably really bad or some kind of weird variant with like a dummy player or whatever. For the maximum players, publishers will throw, you know, a maximum player on the box sometimes that should never be there and you should never play with that player count. For example, Caverna can play up to seven players, I think. I think it's seven. You should never... (laughs) 
should never, never play that game with seven people. That would be torture. So um, I'll check that. If I don't know, though, honestly, we don't really have a method. We just kind of split up because our group is usually big enough to have multiple games, and we just kind of split the groups up evenly. <laughs> so that kind of ends up being what happens in our group. Yeah, if, a, if a new game, though, plays like seven or whatever, however many people we have, usually you just let everybody play. Or if it's a, if it's a quick game, you know, like Spyfall or something like that, you could just play first thing when if you're still waiting for people to arrive or yeah. whatever. Uh, usually we don't do recommended though. I don't remember. I don't remember ever changing our schema for who's playing what based on the recommended. Although maybe I wasn't involved in those discussions. I think probably because a lot of times this is all happening in my head. <laughs> okay. But we usually don't have enough to max out two games with the player right. count. I mean, four is usually the average per game, and almost every game supports four and plays four well. So we usually don't have an issue with this. This actually does become an issue in my other group, though, because we've had game days at times that had like 16 or 17 people. Wow. So then you might, I might pick it based on optimal players in some cases because we have so many people, or we might, we might not know what to do, how to split the group up so it's, e- so it's as even as possible, and you might get stuck putting people in at max player count, which doesn't always work out. But... For the most part, if I know a game, I'll check it out ahead of time. Otherwise, we just split the group evenly. Yeah, I'd say most of the time, you know, depending on who shows, you just kind of go for that middle number, right? You don't, you don't go the min, you don't go the max. You just go somewhere in the 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 sweet middle area, three, four players, and I think that usually ends up working out probably for the better. Not knowing a game, I, I think trying to go either min or max, you're you're at risk. I think you want to stay towards the middle of the player count. That'll probably give you the best experience, at least for the game, to try it out to begin with. What are your thoughts? I would say that the only problem is when you have more people than there are people allowed, like in your massive game group yeah. that you mentioned. You have to kind of figure out who's not going to, who's the odd man out if everybody wants to play this game. And, you know, it's one of those anticipated games, like we had this problem with Dead of Winter, when everybody wanted to play, but we yeah. only had one copy of it yeah. when it first came out, and you have to do Paper, Scissors, Rock or something, <laughs> yeah. or something random. Real or, or uh, code names. <laughs> <laughs> then you have like an elimination round and then you, those people get to play. But yeah, that's, that's probably. This does bring up one point I just thought of that does happen sometimes in our group. Sometimes we have like the majority of the people there want to play in one game. And so, yeah. so we get, sometimes we get stuck playing a game with like a huge amount of players just because everyone wants to. And I think the best example of where this didn't work well was when we played that eight player game of cosmic encounter. I think that's too many players for that game, but we did it because it accommodated the whole group and everyone wanted to play. I think it's one of those good solo play games. (laughs) (laughs) So there are times where we're, we're kind of forced to choose based on what people want to do. And I would honestly prefer, and I don't usually voice this because I just kind of go with the majority, what majority wants, but I would prefer to split the group up and play two games at normal player counts that work well with those games. Uh, and this is kind of the reason why I've start like I've been finding multiple games that have high player counts that play in like half hour that I mentioned before, like between two cities or even like Spyfall, Codenames and Seven Wonders, all those games play quickly. So the reason I bring those games is to so we have something to play when people want to do that. We're not stuck playing something that doesn't work well with that amount of players. Yeah, there's definitely a desire for there at least to be one initial starting game with the whole group, and then we usually break out into the two separate groups. 
I think it's just, I mean, that just shows the closeness of the group we have. We all enjoy each other's company and, you know, we want to participate with each other so that we have that time. And then, because, you know, once you split off into the group, chances are that's the group you're with for the rest of the night. So right. it's harder to mix it back up again. Yep. Question two for Fake It Till We Make It. If you had a time machine, what year would you travel to to stop a designer from making a game and why? Well, if I was going like pure greed, I'd, I'd go back and stop Richard Garfield from <laughs> making magic because I would have dumped so much god-awful money into that game. But then I would be missing all the great times I had every Monday playing magic and all the other things that have come out of magic. So I, yeah. I, I couldn't do it. So then I'd, I'd flip through my book and I'd find another one and go, yeah, 1996 looks pretty good. We're going to stop them from making flux. <laughs> Yeah, because that is the most god awful waste of time and has zero value. Plus, when I was looking this up just to get the year that Flux came out, because I wanted to have the year, I found out that they actually sold rights to Ice Ice Iron Crown Enterprises, and they went out of business two years ago after they did the the deal with them. And that was like the publishers of this Lord of the Rings role playing game that I used to play with some of my buddies when we were younger. So just by them killing Ice, I hate Flux even more now. So definitely 1996. Wow. Flux is pretty bad. What's better, Flux or Candyland? Candyland. Flux or Exploding Kittens? That's a tough one. Exploding but I'm going to go Exploding Kittens because it ends quicker. I can always hope for a kitten. Flux or Shoots and Ladders? Flux. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm with you there. Shoots and Ladders is so bad. It's like never ending. Ryan, what year are you going back to? I am going, I'm going back to 1300 BC. Holy cow. What are you stopping, Chess? I'm stopping the invention of tic-tac-toe, but here's the reason. <laughs> the reason is so that we have an alternate ending to the movie War Games. Wow. Oh I was going to say, we, there, there would be no Whopper without... I mean, how would they end War Games without tic-tac-toe? I want to see what they would do. If you know what's interesting maybe, about this? Maybe they'd use Connect Four. I'm narrating. We've switched roles. You have the insane answer. <laughs> You're right. And I'm narrating. There's something going what on. What happened? I don't know. Maybe it's because Tim... Maybe because you read the question. Yeah, you read the question, and Tim answered first... We yeah, some that, kind of that's paradox. my kind of answer. Yeah, that's, that's kind of weird. That is, that is weird. weird. So tic tac toe. It's going to get even weirder it's later so when it's Chris so might be the neutral yeah. opinion in this. This is bizarre. Episode. That actually doesn't surprise me. This is a bizarre, <laughs> a bizarre episode. episode. Might have to call it that. You should. <laughs> yeah, the, the, for me, this is a tough question because a lot of people like Robo Rally. Well, the end. Yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> I thought that was your whole answer. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, th- it's, there's a lot of people that like that game. There but, is a lot of people that is a very And I'm not a hater game. to that extent because I think if, if people like a game, not everybody has to like the game. It's kind of hard to say that I would eliminate a game because if there's a game I don't yeah. like, I just wouldn't play it. Yeah. Well, you exactly. Know, why even play the game then? But, you know, one of the things I would do, and this is kind of off topic, but, you know, right next to where it says age 14 and over, it plays like three to six players, like on the side of the box. I would go back in time and require every designer to put a luck factor <laughs> on the game from a, a zero to ten. Well, you back to, to normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so much for the bizarro. Just, this game is rated LF3. Yeah. That luck factor. You know, war would be a 10.0. Oh, so it's based on games? That would actually be an interesting yeah, way like to do it. Kalos would be a 2.3, something low. Uh, I like how you're putting decibels. 2.3. That's Kalis. We're getting exact. So we got like a hundred. Scientific. It's like a hundred game scale. All right. Yeah, what, what's much. the luckiest? What would be the luckiest? Just War. Pure luck. 
War. Well, war is a 10.0. What would be, what would be, well, war is literally 100% random. There's no skill. Well, so yeah. what would the one be? The, probably chess. We always use ch- We wheel that out as an example. There's right. no dice, no cards. <laughs> it's the only time you should wheel out chess, by the way. Even worse than Risk. Whoa, my lord. It's like the original strategy game. Yeah. It is. It's the ultimate strategy game. No luck. It's like memorization. Yeah, to some degree. you got to know a bunch of moves and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. thermonuclear war. <laughs> I think we should move on to a listener question. I think that sounds like a great idea. Amazing idea. This question is from Eric. You know what? I'm going to just say it the cool way. Eric Sealander, even though I'm pretty sure that's not how you say it. It's probably Cylinder, but Sealander is cooler. Should change your More name nautical. Sealander. Who are your stylists? And do you think there is a typical life cycle that people in the hobby go through? Particularly in regards to cultivating a board game collection, what stages would you characterize yourselves as being in? Stylists. Yeah. You know, that's so rare. My stylist is CSS. <laughs> that's right. For all you computer people. Yeah, some people know that. It's just interesting how we're having so many looks-based questions and comments. I, I don't have a stylist. I don't know about you guys. I got a Werner pair of clips at home. <laughs> yeah, it's done. Yeah. My wife cuts my hair. There you go. So she's I, my stylist. Yeah, I actually think it's an interesting question. There's definitely stages to any hobby, and Ryan is going to have a lot to say on this, is the obsessive one. But Plus, he's showing stages. Let me growth. just show you. Okay, oh my that's Lord. scary. It's so basically. I'm going to make my answer fast yeah. so we can get to this. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, you've got the exposure phase. You're first exposed to the hobby, whether it's, you know, board game, card game, role-playing game, whatever. Then there's the getting hooked phase. So if you're not hooked, you got exposed and you're never coming back. Assuming that you like the hobby, you get hooked to it. Uh, and then there's finding your niche. So co-op games, strategy games, party games, whatever your niche is. And then and then the next one would be playing regularly. So this is like the fourth phase where you're regularly playing the game. That's kind of where we are. Although technically there's maintaining interest. So as you start to play regularly, you're going to need something new. So either new games have to come out or pre-existing games that you've never played you get exposed to and played something that keeps your interest, um, you know, expansions, things like that. And then this is the, the hard part is the fade. The fade happens when your interest dies down, but then you go into denial. So your interest isn't there. You know, there's something wrong. You're not sure what's wrong, but you find yourself thinking about other things d- about your day or that are going on in your life while you're playing your hobby it's fading. You just don't realize it because you're in denial. And then lastly is something better comes along. So you faded. You get a better offer with some new hobby or new, uh, you know, interest comes along and then you're, you're out. So that's, those are really the, what I would consider the life cycle of gaming to Eric's question. And I think right now for us, you know, I'm speaking for us, we're in phase five, which would be interest is maintained and you're continuing to play regularly. Uh, it is very thorough and very insightful. Yeah, and that's, it was, I, I it was, works for the dating life too. I mean, it was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of like the whole thing right there. That's right, the fade. <laughs> What's funny too is as as a kid, I always liked playing board games and stuff, but we never did it as a family. So it was either me and my brothers playing games together or something like that. But it wasn't like a family function. But yet my dad would bring home these games like you know Stop Thief and you know I got Dark Tower and stuff like that for my birthday, and he he fully supported us and bought these games and he'd bring home other games that never asked for i think he just thought they looked cool and brought them home and we never actually sat down and played them as a family but it kind of sparked our interest and caught us kind of thinking about games and stuff like that and 
Then there's this huge gap until pretty much we started as a gaming group and I started getting back into it again and realized how much I, I really do enjoy the whole get together gaming, you know, experience and stuff. So yeah, I agree. We're, we're solid stage five. And then within that stage, we've even progressed across other stages of we've kind of gone from our, our werewolf loving stage to kind of the party kind of stage to kind of the party and worker replacement. So, I mean, we're kind of even within that genre there, we're kind of going through these different types of games. And I think we've kind of graduated from werewolf style games, kind of they're being put on the back burner. We're going towards these co-op slash, you know, worker placement. Well, one of the reasons this hobby is so strong is because there's a lot of creativity among the designers right now. There's a lot of good games coming out and a lot of new techniques. You know, a lot of people like the legacy. And, you know, even when we were doing a lot of the the co-op with the trader games, then Dead of Winter comes along with a couple twists, the Crossroads cards and the Hidden Goal. And so, uh, you know, the the creativity is really good right now. And I think we're a little spoiled. And it'll be interesting to see what happens if the creativity at the top fades for whatever reason because, you know, it's trickling down. And as long as it keeps, it, they keep cranking out these games, we're going to keep playing. Yeah. It'll be sad if they get to that movie industry point where they're going back and pulling an old one out of the hat and just remaking yeah, it. Yeah. Like the comic book movies. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there goes the, the Deadpool. <laughs> All right, Ryan, what do you got? All right. Let's, let's hear the book. <clears throat> Throw the book at us. All right. So I have a 10 stage life cycle. Oh, my Lord. So yours is what? Seven, seven Chris? Yeah. So Ryan has added three <laughs> stages. We'll see how these compare. Okay. So the first stage is the seeking stage. This is where, and this stage is sometimes active and it's sometimes passive. Active means that you're actively out searching for games. And I was in this stage for a while where I was seeking, but I was having trouble finding. And sometimes it's passive. Like you have something in the back of your mind. Maybe you played some games as a kid. You know you like games. You don't realize that you're seeking, but you are. Okay. And that's where the next stage comes in, which is discovery. That's your first introduction into hobby games. This is a critical moment in the lifestyle, uh, or the life cycle, I should say, because it's the make or break moment. When you discover that first experience of discovering the kind of the first hobby game could lead you down the path of the life cycle, or it could just end. It could just be a two-stager. But, you know, discovery, it's, it's, you know, your first introduction into hobby games. Next is the exploration. Once you've discovered it, once you've discovered the hobby, you begin to explore. You're looking, you're playing more games, you're becoming more exposed to the industry in general. And this kind of naturally progresses into what I call healthy involvement in the hobby. Where you're involved in the hobby and enjoying yourself, you continue to play more games. However, as part of the healthy involvement, you begin to discover you have an unquenchable thirst. Can't be satisfied. And that's when you move into what I call the acquisition disorder or the addiction so can I stop you just right here? Sure. This is a very good list. <laughs> so this five, is that phase five? Is phase five addiction? Yep, we're in phase five. So okay. would you say this phase applies to everybody? This is the life cycle of gamers. Okay, go on. <laughs> Acquisition disorder, ac- addiction phase. This is where you want more, so you buy it. You see, you want, you buy, you play, maybe. You rinse and you repeat over and over and over until you move into the next phase, which is what I call the magic number challenge. This is where you own so many unplayed games that you have to create a personal challenge to play said games. And you involve others in the challenge for moral support. You think and talk about games constantly. You invite people over to your house to hang out, but you secretly have a magic number game in your mind that you want to force upon them. 
<laughs> and you make wagers about said magic number. This would be my current stage of the life cycle, FYI. Now, after the magic number challenge phase comes what I like to call the despair phase. This is where it occurs to you you can never play all the games you desire, and this saddens and depresses you. <laughs> At which point, you eventually move into the numbness stage, where you no longer care about playing all the games. You want to walk away. It's too much for one man or woman to handle. And then, after numbness, is recovery. You're free of the addiction. Board games are a thing of the past until the next stage, which is called the backslide. The backslide is when you stumble upon information about a new game or mechanic. You become curious about what has happened in the industry during your hiatus from gaming, which moves you back to the exploration phase. And then the cycle goes on and on and on until you die. Wow. wow. Those, Eric are the phases of a typical lifestyle of hobby gaming. You know, I was kind of going with the whole addiction thing. I was like, no, but then I immediately went back to magic and went, oh, my God. (laughs) It's open into the cardboard crack packs. and Happens to all of us. Yeah. It's unavoidable. Uh, uh, (laughs) I have to say right now I've got the the plastic crack right now, too, because you pop and open the X-Wing fighters and stuff like that. Really? Yeah, I, I, you know, new ships come out. I, I, I love getting the new ships. Wow. I, I love getting the new ships, seeing what they can do. Let me ask you this, Tim. The latest release they've done, uh, there's the Rebel <laughs> cartoon that they've got out now. There, there's ships from this cartoon now that are in the game. That, that's cool. Does it look like a cartoon? <laughs> Does it look like a No, it looks like a ship. Right. So, Tim, what is your magic number of unplayed ships? Unplayed ships that I own? Yeah. That's a good question. I would actually have to, because uh, yeah. I, I've, I've pretty much played every single Rebel ship that I own. There's not a single ship on the Rebel side that I have not played. Uh, but I have been kind of buying some Imperial stuff, thinking that I would play it at times. And actually, that's coming to fruition now that you know we're doing that whole switch. So uh, there's, it's not a lot. I mean, if we're talking, it's maybe five at the most. And that would be some of the scum ships that I haven't flown yet. And some of the Imperial ships that I haven't flown yet. But I've flown most everything. Okay, not bad. Not bad. Any, any comments on the life cycle? No, I feel a little bit uh, like the black sheep. So <laughs> There's some uh, good crossover. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a little bit. I think that your list is very obsessive. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know if it applies to every gamer. But it definitely applies to you. And I, I fit into a lot of it. But I, I don't know if it applies to everybody. I think yeah. this might apply... Seen you. I've seen the magic addiction be rekindled in you. You're still playing, I might add. Yeah, I still do play, but I'm not buying a lot. I'm, of cards, I'm jealous actually. of that, by the way. See? Yeah, actually, I am. Uh-huh. I am jealous that not. I'm, I'm not playing magic. Yeah, Tim's about to go into the backslide. backslide. He's going. Yeah, maybe the you're onto something. No, see, I probably wouldn't be buying more cards because I've got so many god awful cards. But it's you know, no, once you crack up one of those packs, you take a big sniff. It's not the same. No? It's not the same. It's when it when it first came out, and it was it's it was a whole different thing. Yeah. Now it's kind of like I'm just popping open packs to get some cards. It you know, doesn't have be, the same feel. There might be a market for air fresheners that smell like new board games or pa- packs of magic. I think that's really just for you because I didn't really <laughs> okay, enjoy the smell. Question two. This question is from Ken Deerdorf. I thought about this when you guys were discussing the D and D versus GURP systems. Foreshadowing. We might do that again. How often did you adjust? Eliminate change ad rules to try and make the game smoother. And did it work out? I asked because I know we, Ken is a friend of ours, adjusted or omitted some stuff, 
mostly combat, to try and scale the endless combat possibilities down a bit. This question is for any game, not just D&D. Yeah, obviously house rules help. Gameplay and fun can be hampered by rules sometimes. Like for, for encumbrance is an example. How fast you move is directly related to how much stuff your character's carrying. So if you really want to do it right, you have to meticulously go through everything, make sure that it's accounted for, weighed properly, and enter it into the character in the right way, which yeah. doesn't always happen. And then the number will be right. Or you could just sort of estimate it and say, hey, you're wearing plate mail, you can move this. Oh, you're wearing leather armor, you can move this. So I think cutting the corners a little bit is 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 beneficial to gameplay because you're you're not focusing too much time on something that's not important. One one good example of this was arrows. I remember you wouldn't make us keep track of arrows we were shooting because it was just so uh, so much maintenance and it was just stupid. That's to a do. great example. Yeah, but it was in the rules. I think that you oh, had to do absolutely. that. absolutely oh, yeah, because yeah, arrows, you know, they weigh things too, and they're it's taking up awkwardness on your back. You got the quiver of arrows <laughs> on your back, but you know, ultimately, who cares? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not it's not really going to affect the game that much for the amount of work you're putting into managing that. And then sometimes you have a rule that ruins the game, like some of the spells and. Like Fugue. Fugue was broken. We had to explain what Fugue is. So Fugue, it was an ability that one of Ryan's characters had that allowed him to multiply. Yep. Up to six copies of myself. I think five was the max. Wasn't it minus one? Well, yeah, it was five plus me, so six. I guess I was counting six. And then whenever there was a combat situation, and then they could all fight. And what would happen would be we're playing the game. And a combat situation arises, and Ryan would fugue, and then the game would hit quicksand, because now <laughs> yeah. he's got all of his guys out there, we have to position them, and, you know, he's got to figure out what it's, you know, usually you're figuring out what one character is doing, and one person can make that decision. Now one person is figuring out five characters, and it slows the game down, I don't plus think it's, it, it's powerful. Too. I don't think I was that, I think I tried, I think I moved pretty fast with my guys, but the thing that was annoying was how... Imagine if you're ever playing a role-playing game and you could just have five copies of your guy. So now you're five times, six times more powerful than you would have been. It's, it is broken. Right. So the point is, though, to Ken's question is sometimes you have to adjust the rules a little bit in order to save the game. Right. You know, it's not, you're not hurting the game by doing that. You're saving the game. Yeah. And same thing. I mean, we, we play with tons of house rules, just, just changing things. One of the big ones that we actually ran into a problem with recently was, you know, we thought playing GURPS, we kind of like the, you know, fireball style of as your mage level grew, you got more dice to throw on your fireball. So we didn't limit it to the one to three that GURPS used to allow. We just said, hey, you got the fatigue, you can build it as high as you want. And it was something that was, you know, was so someone built a 15 die fireball and chucked it. He still used up a ton of his fatigue for that. So we would allow those kind of things. And then we'd do other things invisibility in GURPS is extremely powerful um, so that's now going to be eroded in our new one just because it's just, it ends up being too powerful so I think in order to keep gameplay balanced and to not let characters be super gods and do whatever they want I think they're, they're necessary they have to be done so bringing this back to board games uh, we actually do this in board games in a few games we play so for example in some games we eliminate stupid scoring rules For example, Spyfall has really dumb scoring rules. We just throw them out the window and just play individual rounds. Yeah. I like Uh, the scoring rules. (laughs) There's another game that I don't know if you guys played called Telestrations uh, that 
it's like a party game where you're it's like a whisper down the alley but you're drawing but anyways it's it has scoring rules too but you, you don't no one ever uses those it's yeah. just fun to see how the drawings turn out so i think my rule of thumb i think you guys would probably agree with is if it makes the game more fun to change something then do it yeah definitely right don't, uh, don't do it just because the rules say you should if it makes the game not fun then house rule yeah right, and it's a benefit of rpgs is that you have somebody who's in charge and so they can just make the decision for the benefit of everybody you can still do it in board games but you have to have more of a consensus yeah thing. everyone has to agree yeah. yeah whereas chris can be the dictator in an rpg <laughs> right right which fits <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the question, Ken. And speaking of RPGs, it's time to jump into our table talk. Table talk. Gather round, children. This is the Dice Tower Network. So in this table talk, we're going to do points-based, what I'm calling points-based versus level-based RPGs. But really, it's D&D versus GURPS. <laughs> yeah. But there's two different ways to generate a campaign, an RPG campaign. One is... The D&D method where you have levels, and we'll talk about that. And then the GURPS method, which is more of a, a point system where you're not leveling ever. You're just slowly gradually evolving your character with points. And there's pros and cons of both. And this is where we're going to get bizarro. <laughs> we are. Uh, before we start, though, Tim, if you could just give a quick description of GURPS, although Chris just did a little bit. But maybe a little more detail about GURPS itself, since we are going to be talking about it quite a bit. Well, yeah, it's the, well, of course, it's the best system out there, bar none. I mean, oh boy. no questions asked. So, Steve Jackson <laughs> Games, uh, the, the first generic shots been fired. Yes, <laughs> Steve Jackson Games, generic universal role playing system. That's generic what is GURPS a good word for it. is. It's not generic. Oh, it's oh, generic oh. Is in use. return fire, man. <laughs> so, I, I have a feeling though, just seeing things, D and D has been slowly over time trying to morph. To being more GURPS like, showing how great the system is. Already in the blows back. This is great. <laughs> so the great thing there is you you buy your character in GURPS. You're not rolling dice and randomly getting a twelve strength, and you just have to live with it. Sounds stupid. Um, and plus, it it goes across. I using the GURPS system. I've played fantasy. I've played space in like a Firefly campaign. I've Boring. done Star Wars. I've done Indiana Jones. Boring. I've done World War II. And I've done like Road Warrior stuff. Boring, boring, boring. Whereas d and I'm a fighter. Exciting. I'm a mage. Amazing. Um, so generic, buy your character, build your character. You get what you want. You don't get stuck with what you roll. I heard generic, 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 stuck. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> lay it on the for, D&D for anybody thing. who doesn't know, Ryan is very pro the D and D system. Tim's very pro, <laughs> which the is GURPS funny system. for someone who doesn't role play. That is, that's true. So I was asked to give the description of D and D. Maybe Ryan should do it, but I've got it prepared, so I'll no, do it. You need to do it. So th- this is at a high level, and I'm not sure if any of the rules or additions that are recent have changed any of this stuff. But you generate your character. We did it by spending points. So we, we would do a points-based system for that so that you could do it. But I know that the traditional variation in D&D was you roll four dice, eliminate the lowest one, and that's your strength. Rinse, repeat. There is an official method of doing it with points, too. Right, right. Yes. I, I've seen variations yeah. of that. So They took that from GURPS. So you generate your... Thank you, GURPS, for one your benefit. six characteristics. So one of the differences between GURPS and D&D... D&D has six, GURPS has four. GURPS is a little more distilled to have four. D&D has a little bit more variance there with the characteristics. 
you pick your alignment, your race, and your class. So the only overlap there with GURPS is GURPS, you pick your race, right? D&D, you pick your race. But in D&D, you also pick your class and your alignment. And I'm not weighing in on the benefits or detriments of those things. <laughs> it's like the arbitrator here. That is weird. In D&D, leveling is very important. Obviously, you start at level one. You gain experience by in-game successes. Experience leads to leveling. Leveling leads to boosted abilities. You know, better sneaking, more attacks per round, more spells, things like that. Lastly, D&D uses the D20 system. So where GURPS uses three six-sided dice for everything. Boring. Uh, D&D uses... <laughs> A 20-sided dice, I don't say for everything, but for the vast majority, especially things like combat. Uh, what they do is they distill down my ability to hit versus my opponent's armor and ability to defend. They distill that into one die roll. Right. Whereas in GURPS, it, there's there's two, usually two die rolls. One is for the attack, one is for the defense. It's a very neutral thing there. So that's kind of an overview of the D&D system. Yeah. So let me so obviously GURPS exemplifies what we're calling points based where you start with a certain amount of points, you use those to buy kind of whatever you want. Whereas D&D is level based, like Chris said, where instead of getting points every session, you're getting you're working towards getting levels. Well, the thing is you still character. get points. There's still the point idea where you're rewarded for in-game successes. That's global for both. The difference is in GURPS, you take those points, you use them immediately on a micro level to change things about your character between sessions. In D&D, you don't do anything with those points except bank them waiting to level, whereas leveling is kind of the the goal. Right. And then when you level, like a bunch of stuff happens. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk first about points-based systems and get that out of the way so we can talk about the good stuff. So, GURPS, points-based systems, what are some positives, you guys would say, about a points-based type system? So, let's have a neutral party. All right. So, yeah. So, the points-based system, it's more realistic because as I'm doing stuff in real life, I'm getting better daily. So, in GURPS, the fact that you can use your points immediately is a little more realistic. Uh, Plus, I think the combat is a little more realistic in GURPS as well. Um, you can micromanage your skill set, meaning you could be a pickpocketing mage. Where in D&D, you have to kind of classify yourself one way. My favorite thing about GURPS, by far, is the bell curve of the three six-sided dice. And in the hybrid campaigns that we've run, I've incorporated that. I love that. The whole idea of um, you're rolling three six-sided versus your skill level, which let's say is a 12. Let's say my ability to steal from you is a 12 i need to roll under a 12 on three dice and then you roll your perception to see if you see me and then whatever your perception skill is you try to beat that by more than i beat my roll that's a very simple and elegant solution to a lot of problems and um it's probably my favorite thing about the GURPS system GURPS also has disads i don't know if DD ever introduced those but the concept of disads is you give your character something negative you know, uh, like he stutters or he, he hears voices or he has a hunchback or um, he's missing an ear. Things that are a problem or a handicap. And that gives you points to spend on other good things. GURPS, you can shape your character as far as personality. You know, you're not bound to an alignment. So your character could grow a conscience if it makes sense for the moment. Uh, if you're, There's no concept of being lawful good 
where you always have to do good. You know, you can try to be good, but then something might make you do something bad. And then lastly, you get to evolve your character. And I might have touched on this in the beginning, but the idea of getting points on a micro level allows you to evolve your character slowly and grow in ways that are very, like you can micromanage your skills more in GURPS versus uh, D&D, you are, it's, it's more like an all or nothing type of deal, which isn't 100% true, but it's a little more in that direction with D&D. Well, it kind of hits a lot of my big points too. Of, you know, it's, it's being able to buy the guy that you actually want to play rather than being pigeonholed with something that, you know, I picked this class, this alignment, and this, so now I'm I'm Ugg the Fighter, and all I do is go up and pound things. This lets you buy disads, buy advantages, and generates a personality for your character. And I've seen this happen in-game many times with people that have not played before. They're just like, I don't know what my character to do, but based on the personality I've generated, I know how he's going to act in this situation because I have this disad. So now this guy said something and I know, well, you know, I, I don't like that because I took a disadvantage that, you know, he's, he's being, you know, mean to this child. So I'm going to do something. Whereas I'm just, I'm, I'm a fighter. I mean, it's, there's, there's no, there's no way to gauge what the person would do. Well, you, you would follow your it. alignment in that right. case. Or, yeah. And that's the other thing is the way I play my character is the alignment. Why, why do I have to have an alignment that's forcing me to, you know, the way I play my guy is going to determine my alignment. How's that different from having a disad though? Because there's not something there that's kind of keeping you to that, you know. To me, like, an alignment so is like, like a disad. So you're, you know, I'm greedy in this situation, but I'm not greedy in this situation because I know in this situation, if I'm greedy, I'm going to get hurt badly. But in this situation, being greedy is going to help me good. But if your character is greedy, you need to be greedy. So yeah. it, it <laughs> defines moments where, yeah, maybe this is not the best decision, but my guy is greedy. So that guy who just offered me a million dollars to go do this, I, but that's the same as having an alignment, though. I think it's similar. It's similar. But. D- the D&D alignments are very similar to disads because they sort of give your character a direction, uh, personality-wise. The difference is, though, with the GURPS disads, they're more finely tuned. Like, yeah. being greedy is a subset, maybe, of being chaotic. Right. Uh, being chaotic uh, just means you you really kind of fly to the beat of your own drum. You're not going to follow laws. But being greedy is a specific thing. I'm not arguing that uh, that disads aren't better than alignment. I'm arguing that you can't say that you don't like al- the alignment in D and D, and then in the same breath say you like disads in GURPS. Because I feel like an alignment in D and D is is kind of the same thing as having a disad in GURPS. It's just it's like having one of the disads of GURPS. A very broad, innocuous one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm neutral. Well, what does that mean? Well, neutral to me is the stupidest alignment. That's the fill alignment. That's kind of it just it well, kind of fans out in stupidity from there. I mean, it's, I mean, it, it is, it is, <laughs> it is like callous, you know, where you're just you're going to be like Switzerland and not ever get involved in anything. It's just like a callous person would. So there is some similarities to Ryan's point between the alignments and yeah. the disads. They're just more broad. The yeah. arbitrator yeah. has spoken. The arbitrator yeah. has spoken. <laughs> so also, the, the slow character improvement is great. I, I love that every time I've play a game session next session i maybe i'm better at picking pockets maybe i'm better at climbing walls i don't have to wait till this big grandiose level up to all of a sudden have my character change and oh by the way you know you get to add two weapon skills and uh, two points to some other existing skill the skill list in D is so small versus the skill list in gurps in gurps your your skill list could be immense you know you've got skills to do everything plus it's cross genre I don't, I'm not just a fighter. I'm not just a thief. If I 
if I want to be a fighter that, you know, picks an occasional pocket, I can do that. It's not something that's like totally disallowed. Oh, I need to interject here. I know they've been warping it to GURP standards no, 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 to no. get there. I think this, it sounds like on paper that it's more that having the skill list makes for more freedom with your character. I would argue that it makes your character more limited, that there is such a broad list of skills in GURPS. Because then what, what it ends up happening is you want to do something in a situation, you look at your skill list, you don't have a skill that you can do that with, so you just can't do it. Well, you definitely don't have it in D&D. No, in D&D, it's skills like, all right, um, the, uh, that you have to roll higher than a 12 on, on a 20 side or roll against your dexterity or whatever. There's a, there's a way to a- accomplish that as a DM to allow the player to try something even if they don't have a skill for it. And I think this is why Chris in his – Chris kind of has a homebrew system in a way where you basically have every single skill in the group's yeah. book Yeah, and listed. I, I hit a wall with that system when I tried to figure out how to do spells because yeah. I, I couldn't get an elegant way. There's things I like from both spell systems. That was my next one. I love the spell system. I, I'm, I'm a little in between on that. There's definitely good things about it. In my app, I couldn't figure out how I wanted to do it. But to Ryan's point, I list every skill. So it's sorted by the ones you buy yeah. or, or at the top. But then everything is a default. I mean, so you didn't take brawling. You can still brawl if well, you yeah. had to brawl. Can, same so thing there's in a number, But it's not listed. You can add it. But here's what's annoying. You have to look through a list of a thousand skills, whereas in D and D, you can just use your strength, and right. and the the DM can just tell you what you have to roll. Right, like if somebody, if you're in a bar fight and you want to do brawling, there, you don't need to have that skill in order to to fight. You just resolve it with how strong you are and what's your level. Not as realistic and as being a trained an fighter. Equivalent in GURPS, but every skill is defaultable off your stats. Yeah. So, like, you could say make a strength roll, but then if if my guy bought brawling, that's not fair to me because I should be able to brawl better than somebody who didn't take it. Yeah. So, did you did you have positives you were going to say? Yeah, no, I'm waiting because I'm assuming oh. Tim has a big list. This is like his bread and butter. Well, you know, and actually, <laughs> Chris Chris hit a bunch of them. It's, it's it's you know it's it's the whole personality creation that I feel that you get when I, cause I just got out of a three year long D and D campaign because Ed wanted to go back and play D and D. Who was the GM? Ed. No. All right. So continue. It, <laughs> it was painful on so many levels to play D and D. And there were, there were multiple people in the campaign that's just like, okay, you know, we're doing this just cause Ed wanted to do it and we're going through the campaign. And so many times situations came up or this came up and, it's like, well, can we do this? Oh, well, D and D can't do that. It comes with this, and we just we we got tired of it. What, we what like, okay, you doing? So, so three five as the okay. arbitrator, I want to I want to move on. Right. That was the last. No, point. that's good. All right. Okay. One thing I like about about points based system or GURPS, I don't know that I necessarily like this, but the freedom to do whatever you want without restrictions. That's kind of what GURPS is built around. Are these points based systems? You can just pick whatever you want. Another positive, I guess, is that. If you like getting instant gratification, you know, you need that quick fix, kind of that kind of cheap entertainment, then it's a left handed compliment. Then you can get something, you know, every session, you get some points that you can use to buy something. So you're instantly gratified. The thing I do love, and I actually put three loves I love, love, love. By far, by a mile, the thing I love the most about GURPS is the disads. Yeah. 
I love the disads. I love role-playing the disads. To me, I had more fun role-playing my disads than doing anything else in GURPS. Yeah, I agree. Disads were up there for me. I, I had that list as the second best thing. And, and one thing that's fun in GURPS is um, you can pick five quirks, and they're one-point one disads. And, and uh, to explain what di- the way disads work is a disad gives you it basically gives you more points to spend on your character, but then you're forced to role play forced something role play. Like I'll that. Give you, I'll, let me give a quick example of a disad. So Dave's character, he has a disad that he cannot stand when his cloak gets dirty. He's, <laughs> okay. he's playing kind of an arrogant nobleman type guy, and he likes his cloak, and he likes his cloak to be clean. And I think he, he originally put one point into it, but he was playing it so well, I let him move that up. Because now, if his cloak gets dirty, he literally has to stop what they're doing to take care of his cloak because he's that obsessed. That's an example of a disad. It adds color to the character. And by using it, even though it's a pain to role play it, he gets points to spend on other things because he bought that disad. Yeah. So I had a character who had, this is Ramusai, he had multiple disads that, like, they made him exponentially more annoying to everyone around him. So he had, he liked to argue. He had a bad temper. temper. And the temper was the thing that was the most interesting to role play because I would literally start yelling in our sessions to where, um, actually, we mentioned, like, Ken asked a question earlier. We're playing this at Ken's house. He actually sometimes had to tell me to quiet down because he was worried the neighbors were, <laughs> were going to complain because I was yelling. I was role playing my guy and yelling like I was angry, like really loud. Yeah. And that was fun. And those, like, when we go back and listen to the, the, podcast it's fun to listen to that because it's just so outrageous yeah. some of the stuff that we did because of role-playing our disads yeah so disads for me yeah by a by a mile i'm, I'm done with my list okay classes. we're on the negatives now yeah so i think maybe it would be interesting to hear tim's negative about gerbs it's very point intensive i mean you're spending points at the micro level half point at a time on skills to upgrade them get new ones and stuff so the the library they're taking there of keeping skills up to date and spending the points and stuff can be kind of a, a task or a chore. There's not a monster manual like you would get in D&D. I, don't, I can't flip it open. Here's an orc. Here's a troll. Here's this. You know, you end up kind of creating those on your own based on, you know, what you think an orc should be. The amount of point, you know, GURPS ends up being, you know, instead of orc being one eight-sider for hit dice, you know, an orc is 50 character points and that's what you spend and you kind of develop your own homebrew. Um, so I think that's a, one place that could be a little better. But, you know, once you create those, they're, they're there and usable from then on forward. And I know they've tried some iterations of doing those things, but, you know, there's not cobalts and orcs and goblins and stuff. But the difference between those and D&D is it's a, a four-sider versus an eight-sider versus two eight-siders versus three eight-siders. And it's the same monster. It's just how many eight-siders you rule for as hit points. So, Ryan, what, what are your negatives about the, the points-based systems? You can't be done already. It's GURPS. It's GURPS. <laughs> it's the best ever. Okay. Well, I had to refine my list because, you know, you could talk for hours about this. Um, so one is that I think it's too hard to balance. I think GURPS is too hard to balance. For example, a thousand point character can easily get killed by a 150 point guy who put tons of points into chopping off heads. Just one example. So the way you're supposed to, the relative power of characters is supposed to be the amount of points that they have, Right. But there's been multiple times where just a piddly guy has killed someone, for example. To me, that's the beauty of it. Because you put a first-level fighter against a fifth-level fighter, fifth-level fighter wins every single time. He never cannot lose. GURPS, not the case. 
That's He'll not... probably win most of the time, but there's going to be some times that he will lose. But that's not – but GURPS where it's it's supposed to be realistic, but that's unrealistic. How is it unrealistic? I'm not going to go fight Brock Lesnar and beat him not even one in a thousand times. Brock Lesnar is going to pound me into the pavement a thousand times. It doesn't matter if I'm level one, he's level five. There's no chance of me beating him in a fight. And GURPS is supposed to be realistic, but you're making a case that it's more unrealistic. Eat that, GURPS. <laughs> so you know what's interesting? I agree with both you guys. I think that – when you grow in power, you should be harder to beat. Yeah. Significantly to, to Ryan's point, uh, he's still talking about when DeBerg fought Ferennial and, and won in kind of an upset. So on one hand, you have a, a character who has multiples of points compared to the other guy. Mm-hmm. And then it's a David and Goliath situation. So I think you're always going to have... A, it's nice to have hope that you can win. But in Ryan's scenario, Goliath should have pounded the crap out of David every single time. No, David had a really strong sling skill, right? Well, that's just <laughs> it. He did. He used, you know fight, what? He used to fight lions. You don't, but you know what? If you had very high karate skill and you went up against Lesnar, maybe you'd wow. beat him. Yeah, but I, I think David was a higher level than you're giving him credit for. Wow. I mean, that's like being an archer. You know, an archer might be small, but if you're really good with a bow, you can take on a warrior. You just have to shoot him from far away. One of the things that's exactly. really frustrating, <laughs> one of the things that's really frustrating about the D&D system is that you can kind of see how a fight is going to turn out yes. just by the matchup. There's still a chance you could critically fail, drop your weapon, and the other guy could roll 20, all that stuff. Yeah. But just not even 50% into the battle, you can look at the levels and the hit point status and see how it's yeah. going to end. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, though. I think for realism, maybe Ryan has a point that you should, that the bigger guy should win. And so that's okay. But from a role playing standpoint, I like the idea that I have a shot. Yeah. You know, I like, if it's going to come down to my roles and my decisions, because it's a game, I don't want it to be a complete mismatch. I want the other guy to have an advantage, but I want to be able to have a shot. And D&D, I've been in that situation where uh, we need to turn around and go somewhere else. We have no shot here. Very Versus, you know, it's it's like taking candy from a baby, too. And that's a problem for, from the other standpoint. Even though, to your point, it might be realistic that you get that beefed up. As I'm playing it, I like the chan- I like that I have a chance. But um, I did have another – I had a, a negative. I The one thing I don't like about GURPS is the it's slower. So you're sacrificing – you're realistic, but it's slowing the game down. Yes. For every, You're talking for combat? It's too mechanical. Not I just combat. On my but, list, too. Yeah. Even for spells and things, there's always two roles. So from right off the bat, D&D boils it down to one role, which in some ways is cheesy because, you know. I liked it when I was nine. Well, yeah. Because it was easy. I had one role. It's it was simple. simple. Yeah. And, but, but it's not it might not be as realistic but it's quick like you can you can crank it out quickly you know at the end of the day you might not be satisfied that that's how it would play out but it's over with gurps it's very realistic because you're blocking you're parrying you're dodging you're swinging you know oh bada bing bada boom mm-hmm. but it's it goes on and on and on and on and on it, that that would be to me. That's a negative. I like the realism. In fact, I listed the realism as the positives. But I, the slowness, it's undeniable. I don't know. I like I said, we just did that D and D campaign. The combats there were just as bad. It took just as long, even with the one die roll, because you got to the point that both sides were so armored up 
that you needed such a high number to hit each other that it was roll, miss, roll, miss, roll, miss, roll, miss, roll, hit, roll, miss, roll, miss. And then you got so many hit points to get through because now I'm seventh level. I've got 60 hit points and you're only getting one every five shots through. That combat is now so ungodly long because I can't target his head and just take him out. Yeah, I, I have had those long ones in D&D, but I think if you look at the statistical field, just by the fact that there's two rolls, it's going to be longer. Uh, but I agree that in D&D you could have that problem too. Yeah. So I had, a, I had a few more. just want to well, rattle okay, them off. Yeah, rattle off. I don't know that I'll have as much discussion, but I think one is that, you know, even though there's a million skills in groups, I feel like people always end up taking a lot of the same ones and the characters can be a little too similar. That's one issue that I have. Uh, the thing that, that Chris mentioned about the, to me, the, it's a very, it's too mechanical. We, we talk about this with, in board games a lot. Sometimes the fiddliness of the game interferes with the fun of the game. And I'd feel like in GURPS or, you know, I'm assuming other points based systems might be like this too, but there's too much fiddliness with, and too much complexity of rules with the rolling and blocking and dodging. Oh, I don't know. I have a plus two to my dodge because I, you know, I look at this skill and I divide it by two and then I add a point for this advantage I have. And so, you know, I, I block it. I was like, okay, well, we didn't follow that math, but we trust you that, that, that you blocked it. Whereas, you know, instead of just rolling one roll, it's, it's, it's just, it moves it along. I guess for me, I want the game to move along. The f- move the fun to move along, not getting caught up in the in the rules, just like in a board game. And then because of the points base, there's a lot of min maxing, a lot of that's D and D to a T is min maxing. Period. No, I think GURPS is more because you can find those loopholes in combinations of skills and make your character ridiculous, like Jim making his character ridiculous at critical hits in the eye and killing a god because of it he did that through min maxing the skills that's to me that's you can do that a lot more in gerbs than you can in D D. D, you have to pick your class everything is right there it's all very straightforward it's it's right in the description but your stats are all about min maxing i want an 18 strength I want an 18 constitution. I want an 18 dexterity. But it limits you. I could you. care less about charisma because it's a worthless stat. Who needs that? Right. But a good... But a and good, I'm a fighter, so my wisdom of five is fine. A good DM will make you role play when you have a bad charisma. Chris did this a lot. Like If you if you skimped on a skill or on an on a attribute no choice, like right? that... I can't roll good all the time. It's not just rolling. It could put you in situations where you're forced to have a good charisma and you wouldn't be able to. And, and actually, what's funny about this is, speaking of Ken again... He had this mage, and he did that. He made his intelligence super high because that his charisma was really low. So the guy was like butt ugly. His character, I mean. His character is butt ugly. But because of his fame, as the game progressed, because of his fame, it started to negate how ugly he was. But he was like the like the um, Mick Jagger of, of role-playing, yeah. his character was. He was a playboy, yeah. even though he was butt ugly. But it was just funny that uh, he was kind of forced into those situations where but at the beginning, someone would have to make a reaction roll to his horrible charisma first right. to see how they reacted to him. Uh, and then finally, I have this in all capital letters, six-sided dice are boring. Why do you guys want to use six-sided dice? It's boring, I love in D&D that you have all these weird dice that you have to use and they they're all they all work for different things. To me that's that's just more interesting. I don't, I don't mind the different dice. But what the reason that I like the the GURPS three six-sided though is the bell curve though. 
it's re- the way they did this with making strength rolls, with making rolls against your skill, rolls against your spells with the three dice. It, it really rewards you for pumping points into a certain way. And statistically, because of the three dice, you know, you're going to roll 10.5 the majority of the time. So you want to get your skills like above that in order to be competent at it. It's just very elegant and simple. I agree that the dice are cool. I remember the first time I opened my dice when I got my very first D and D dice. It was cool. They're all the colors and everything. And I still kind of, I, I still kind of like that. But science, the science behind the three six sided, I like. I like just that it's simple and it just works. Okay. But but I I know what you're saying. You know, a dagger one to four damage. You get to your little triangle dice. And, yeah. yeah. But yeah. no one uses a dagger because you're going to use a longsword because it does more. No one wants to use a dagger unless you're forced to because you're a magic user, and that's the biggest weapon you can get as a dagger. But you can use a staff, too, and a staff does one to six. So you'd never use a dagger. You'd always just use a staff. Well, you know what's so a challenge? you're going to max your damage. You know what's a challenge as the, as the DM is to think of a reason for the 12-sided dice because I love the 12-sided <laughs> die. For whatever reason, it was my favorite one. <laughs> Barbarian hit points. That's about it. Well, that's it's yeah one to twelve, but it, just to I want you to roll twelve sided dice for whatever reason, you know, just to see how much you know about something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Twelve sided dice. Go so you figure. gotta love for the dodecahedrons. Yeah, definitely. So level based systems, aka D and D, which is pretty much all we're going to be talking about. Positives. So I'm going to start off because probably the biggest list. I'm guessing. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine. So I think the first positive is I like the focus that. D&D gives you for your character. Focus, really? Yeah, you have a race, you have a class, you're, you're focused from the beginning, you know kind of where you want to go with your character, what feats you want to take, where you want your character to grow. You're, you have that, you have more focus on what you want to do. Whereas in GURPS or, you know, points-based, it's kind of like, okay, I got some points, what should I spend them on? There's no, like, well, real... I know I'm going to sit down and build a fighter, so I'm going to take fighter stuff. Oh, so you're you're building a fighter, huh? Yeah, but... You know, if I want to dabble, Interesting. If I want to dabble in some thievery, I have that option. Whereas, I, I if I pick the fighter class, oh, I'm hosed forever. I can only ever be a fighter. Again, I want to climb a wall. You can't. You're not a thief. I'm sorry. Leave that to the thief. Right. Well, you you should want to be a fighter because you pick the fighter class. Isn't isn't variety the objective life? Well, yeah. If you want everyone to be the same. Next is making more. It makes more thematic sense when you get more abilities. Unlike points, base where you just take random stuff. Um, so you're just saying random stuff. People don't take random stuff. Yes, they do. So what I mean by random stuff is Chris actually had a problem with this. Like I would get points in GURPS and I would just buy some random skill. I, I had no prior knowledge of the skill. It's just like I suddenly like uploaded it in the matrix and now like I know how to look in, in water and get visions. And because that was a skill that I took. And it doesn't make any thematic sense whatsoever. You're just randomly picking things. It, there's no like, <laughs> there's no uh, storyline or timeline or progression of your character as far as something that makes thematic sense. Are you talking sense. about when you generate your character or no, when you I'm talking about when you spend get your points, points and you spend them on something well, new. Well, but we have rules, though, that you can't do that. House rules. Yeah. Is that yeah, a house rule? Yes. Or, those are a, house but rules. I mean... Uh, Same thing in D&D. You go up your level, you get some points. You can buy whatever you want, whether it makes sense or not. No, it all I makes sense. I haven't swung 
a short sword. My whole character creation, but this time I went up a level, I got two weapon slots. Hey, I bought so I buying short sword. Now I know how to use one, even though I've never touched one all first through fifth level. But doesn't that make sense though? Because no, it just makes zero sense. How because, does it make sense? Because your character is a fighter by nature. Well, my character is a fighter by nature, and I I picked up uh, you know same thing. I picked up a broadsword. Well, that's not what I'm talking about though. I'm talking about the skills that are kind of out there that you just people just buy. So you're telling me you couldn't do that in D and D? There's no. not. You couldn't as a fighter go out and buy. Uh, I'm just going to buy a uh, basket weaving. No, there's no basket weaving skill in D&D. They're all the skills and things that you can buy are related to actually being the class that you are. Whereas so You're pigeonholed. No, you're picking things that make thematic Pigeon. sense. You are a little pigeonholed. You're pigeonholed. You're, you might be pigeonholed, but what you're picking makes sense. That's my point. There's more yeah. focus to your character. So what you're saying is we've got a renegade character generator that just wants to go out and pick random stuff. Yes, which is exactly stuff. what I did when I was <laughs> playing girls. Sounds like a... Role player problem than a game system, but the problem. but the system enables it. That's the problem. The system enables it. Whereas D and D, you're focused on being your class. The system of of points based GURPS, it enables you to go out and just pick random stuff. Again, back to my min maxing. You're just going to make your character as powerful as possible by picking random assortments of skills that just make you versus would you making agree, my character though, more powerful, picking from a set sled of skills. Yeah, that I have to pick. That makes sense. I, I think you have a point, but would you agree? That with the house rule, that that fixes the problem? Yeah, it's a house rule, though. That's what we're talking about. Okay. So this could be a problem because with I, any board I, game we're I talking about, too. I agree that's a problem, but we've never had the problem playing GURPS because no. we always require, you know, if you're going to buy something new, you got to bounce it off the GM. Right, and this goes back to why do we make house rules? To make the game more fun. Right. And that's what we're having to do okay. with, with GURPS is we're having to make a house rule to make it more fun. So you don't have that problem in D&D, but you do have the pigeonhole problem. Yeah, you're pigeonholed into the giant list of things that your character can have. Right. Well, that makes sense thematically. It would be fun to be able to take pickpocketing, even if I'm not a thief, though. But, but it, it wouldn't make sense, though. I, why? If, if I wanted to learn that, I don't know if... It, How come you, I can't acquire that skill? Just because I'm a fighter, I can no longer... I, I have got this half brain that here's doesn't the thing. Okay, to try to picture, skills. like... Here, um, here's the thing. Like, I, like Gimli. Gimli, the, the fighter, suddenly wants to be a pickpocket. So you have this like giant fat dwarf like trying to pick someone's pocket. Does that make any sense to you? Like, well, but if he's the, as the player wants to do it and as an in-game, this is the key has an in-game reason to do it. This is why I was saying that with the house rule, I think it fixes the problem. And to your point, going along the class, sort of the the restrictive nature of it, which is sort of a detriment in some ways, is also a positive because it makes it realistic that you can only pick things. From that small list, mm-hmm. whereas in GURPS you can just pick anything. It's not as uh, it might be fun as a player, but it's not. I have a problem with it as the GM if somebody just picks something without a reason. <laughs> right. In D and D though, you're not you don't have that problem as much, but then you have the pigeonhole problem. So it's kind of a trade off. Yeah, and and I guess this is a matter of preference, which is why <laughs> Tim and I are on different ends of the spectrum here. I like the focus that it gives. Maybe some people don't like that. I like I like when the classes are more defined and focused, and isn't it like telling him what to do, which is what he doesn't like in games. <laughs> when someone tells him what to do, now he's being told stay within this set. That's true, and you're okay with that. Yeah, because it makes sense. Maybe it's my keep going. With maybe the it's just because I want things going. to make let's, sense. Let's hear some more positive. Okay, uh, next positive for me is I feel personally that it's much more rewarding and fulfilling to earn a level than it is to get points every session. That feeling of accomplishment when you level is amazing. 
And it does get harder over time, but then every time you level the, in the later levels, you get cooler and cooler stuff. So it makes it worth the effort and time and energy that you put into it. I feel like that is just a, it's just a more rewarding feeling than getting points every time. And I think the abilities, I feel like the abilities and the spells in the level base, and maybe this is just D&D, I, I feel like they're more powerful and cinematic compared to the ones in, in GURPS. They're definitely more cinematic. Oh, they're way more cinematic. <clears throat> I mean, you can jump out of a 10-story building and then just walk away. Yeah. That's very cinematic. Yeah, and I think overall, and this is another point, just overall, I think the system itself is more cinematic. And I, I lean towards cinematic play versus more realistic play. That's fair. That's, that's a fair statement. And then I think the last one is for new players, maybe, I think GURPS can be completely overwhelming. And this goes back. And so in other words, why is it positive for D&D? It's, it's not as overwhelming when you're making a new character. I couldn't agree more, but here's a big problem with D&D. They keep changing it. Yeah, There's yeah. new versions always coming out. And then I want to get excited about it. I buy the books. I don't, re- I don't get to them. I don't get to them. Finally, I'm going to get to them. And then, oh, there, there's a new version out yeah. again. Yeah. And they, 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 op- they keep obsoleting the previous versions. Is it to make it's money? It's annoying. Yeah, it's pretty annoying. But maybe but not all. I agree that level-based systems might not do that because we we are mostly experienced with D and D, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. But I think I, this might just be more of a negative of the points based system in general that it's it's so complex to figure out at the beginning. It may not be as good of a system for a new player. Okay, Tim. So let's, let's have Tim do the negatives. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because my positive is just, you know, it's kind of simple, pick a class, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the whole reason we did this D&D campaign recently was we're introducing my nephew, Johnny, and my one buddy's friend, uh, his son, Ben, to role-playing. And they had never done it before. So we thought, let's go with the simple D&D, create a character. They were still friggin' lost. <laughs> So the whole simplicity of it, I don't buy just because I saw it in action that these two still were both, and they're both very smart kids, but they were still lost in all of the stats and the swords. And then I don't get it. How come I can't change my guy? And how come I can only use this sword? He's picking pockets. How come I can't pick pockets? You know, they wanted to be more spread. They didn't want to be pigeonholed into, well, sorry, you picked fighter so guess what you can go swing at things and you got this little list of things to pick from <laughs> they hated it so from, upon completing that we switched over to GURPS and their play style has changed so dramatically from uh, I'm a fighter uh, I'm going to kill that to now they've got a personality in front of them they're, they're, they're actually role playing they're not just I've got this character and I'm supposed to go do this. It's, they, they've, they've developed more of a personality and they're, they're staying within those things and it's helping them to interact better. And, you know, combat is a smaller portion of most of our role-playing sessions. Most of our role-playing sessions are discussions and mm-hmm. things going on and planning and stuff. And then the combat ends up being a very smaller portion of things that are going on. And they've just they've taken to it so much better in, in that genre. So, so what are some of the other negatives? So... That's that's my that's my one of my big negatives. You're 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 just stuck. You're pigeonholed. You can't change. You know, I, I'm a computer programmer by trade. Doesn't mean I can't go learn to paint a picture or do something like this. Where D and D said, "Well, you're a fighter. You can't you can't go outside this bounds." So then the you know the infrequent changes to my character. I'm now fifth level. It's now going to take me six months of real time game playing before my character changes. 
And then finally, after six months, my guy changes. We go up against some ghouls. He sucks two levels out of me. Now I've just lost a year and a half of playing. <laughs> and it's just, that is just about the most frustrating thing in, is just all this work to get to a point and then one attack, boom, nothing you can do to prevent it. Yeah, the you failed your saving throw. Yeah, I did that in GURPS. But we were able to resolve and get That's it back. True, yeah. Here, you know, you can get restoration and stuff, but then, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the true way is that works nowadays, but. We had it happen that Ben was about to go to seventh level. He was like 2,000 experience points away. He got drained two levels. And then with restoration, we're able to get him back his sixth level. But then all that experience between sixth and seventh was gone. That sounds like a DM problem. Yeah. That's so, a DM problem. And there's just, you know, there's just a massive frustration. <laughs> that's on that just part. wrong to do yeah. as a DM. Yeah. And then just, you know, <laughs> the lack of personality. Yeah, there's, there's, I'm, I'm Ugg the fighter. Right. Let me go pick my next feet. So, did you have any negatives? Nah, yeah, I think we're good. No, no I, negatives. I, on I, had, I do, but we're 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 going pretty long. I had a few, but I've already mentioned. You crossed over mine, so I mean, oh, my other ones too. Oh, you I don't went, actually have to wait to fifth level to get a fireball. I can get it out of the gate. I had a question about um, uh, your scenario, though. Did they have any prior exposure to fantasy at all before playing D anD? d Yeah, I mean, they, like fantasy literature or anything. Uh, I mean, I know the Lord of the Rings they were into. I don't know that they read the books. They're into the movies. Because no, like, the they, questions they, like, they were the asking were weird to me. Uh, because I feel like if you understood the fantasy genre, you wouldn't have those questions. Genre? Yeah. What's a genre? genre. Like a genre? Same thing. <laughs> okay, never mind. Uh, one question I want to pose to you guys before we wrap this up is spells. Because this is the one thing I go back and forth on. I mean, talk about the advantages of the D&D system and then, Tim, the GURP system. Okay. The system of spells actually changed. It's gone back in 5th edition to how it was in, like, 3rd. Okay. I hated the 4th edition. way they Everybody did hated the 4th edition. I, just in general, talking about the spells and cells, this goes back to me liking cinematics more than uh, realism. I love the spells in general more in D&D. Why? I just remember as a wizard, playing a wizard in both, being much more excited about the list of spells, just in general. Just reading the descriptions and what they did and what you could build up to. They just seem like cooler s- spells to me. And I don't. one thing I don't like about the GURP system, and I think this was a house rule, I don't like that you had to learn this in order to learn this other spell, and then that no, builds up to this spell. standard rules. I just don't like that. I, it's the prerequisites, and I found yeah. I've used those spells more often than I thought I would. It's, yeah. The one thing about it, I kind of agree with what you said. I like the D&D spell system, too. That's why I have a hard time with it. But the prerequisites are realistic, though. I know it is. So it's almost like that's the realism right. trade-off again. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So we probably all agree on that. Yeah. You know, there's, a, some, there's a simplicity to the D&D spells that make it kind of nice. It's a much smaller list of spells than available in GURPS. My big problem there, too, is the progression. You know, it's just I can't get a third-level spell until I'm fifth-level. It's a very oriented thing whereas if i want to be if i want to be a spellcaster and i want to be able to you know fly I, I i can do that right away i don't have to wait till i'm fifth level yeah, to be able as, to do that as a gm one of the things that's frustrating though about that is in D I could pull a guy out of a hat some npc that comes along it wasn't supposed to be important but the guys made him important and he's a six level wizard i know basically what spells he has yeah. just in my head yeah with gurps you're sort of required to generate these guys ahead of time because they can be so specific in nature, which is the beauty of it, but it's also, it creates more well, Most work. of the time when that happens, we wing, we wing a guy, and then if he actually became important, then we'd generate him post. 
Yeah. So you just kind of wing it and just be like, okay, this guy would probably have this, he'd probably have that, and you just go with it. Yeah. You just made an interesting point that we didn't really touch on was the perspective of the DM yeah. with all this stuff. Because we're all, I feel like we've been talking mostly from the perspective of a player. Yeah, for me, I I like speed. And the, my favorite thing about D&D is the speed. And, and I think in your current campaign, there were probably it was probably not run the way I would run it. It's way faster generating you know i've got hundreds of npcs so knowing like what they would be doing and what they would have i'm a little more comfortable with the dnd system but the gerb system is more realistic so if if we're in a situation where something's going to happen i don't want to sit and like argue with the players about well no that wouldn't happen because of this you know nick for example would want to like bang two guys heads together in some like cinematic scene of glory be like, what? And, you know, there's no role for that. But in GURPS, there's there's rules for all that. You got to do contest this and that. These guys are both going to make strength rolls. He's got to beat his strength roll by more than both of theirs combined. And then it's probably not going to work. So I can tell him it's not going to work and have a reason. That's one of the things I like about GURPS is 3D6, you know, boop, bada, boom, bada, boom. But um, I like how it's faster in D&D. So there's, it's a trade-off. Like when we were doing Alvaron, yeah. I was... I was literally on the fence and I was bouncing a lot of this off Ryan. I was like, what is your opinion? I was getting your guys' opinions. I was asking Chris Johnson his opinion. And we ended up going the, the GURPS route and it's been fine. But there's definitely advantages both ways. That's why I, I truly am kind of in the middle on this one. So it, just to wrap things it up. shows though, it based on the generators you've created because they've been mixed. Hybrids, yeah. yeah I, hybrids. I truly like, I, I like a little bit of both. But like you said, uh, you had a good point a minute ago. Combat is not a big part of a lot of campaigns, right. especially mine. And so when there's not a lot of combat, it's the system doesn't get in the way. And the system should never get in the way of the campaign. It should help the campaign. So I think there's there's good on both sides. Sorry, Steve Jackson. I know I, I volunteered for you for many years. <laughs> Don't Traitor. hate me. Traitor. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've got a love for D&D because I, I started playing that when I was in fourth grade, and that's what got me into role-playing. So there's, there's this little soft spot in me that for D&D, but... You know, having just recently done it, I, I definitely know that I'm diehard GURPS and I, I, I can't I can't do D and D and choke it down. Yeah. And for the record, I'm I'm being a little antagonistic in this episode. I don't hate GURPS as much as I'm making it seem. <laughs> uh, I I've played in multiple GURPS campaigns. I've had a lot of fun in them. We the three of us played in one that was one of the best campaigns I've ever played in. Draw, the draw man, campaign. That was great. So, you know, I just I think for me really what it boils down to is for whatever reason, the level-based systems, D&D, just feels right to me as a role-playing system. Like, if I, if I take, like, the player's handbook from D&D, I can get, I can get engrossed in just looking at through the player's handbook. If I take the GURPS player's handbook, you know, it's just like a list of skills and it's not as, it doesn't engross me as much. And that's because GURPS specifically, it could just be because it's, it's, it's supposed to be generic. Right. You know, maybe the GURPS fantasy book would be more engrossing. But I don't know. D and D just feels it just feels right to me as an as an RPG system, and that's kind of what I lean towards. Maybe because it's the first thing we played, or I ever played. I don't know. But after playing both, that's the conclusion I've come to. All right. Let us know what you think out there, listeners. If you're still there, chime yeah. in. We want to hear. <laughs> and this kind of brings it full circle back to board games because once again, you two want the fast board game, which is the fast RPG system, and I'm okay with the longer play. I don't mind system. longer games. I just want to wait. There's a big there's, difference. Like, true, I, I could true. play in a lot those like those long risk games I was talking about. Yeah. And, uh, as long as 
you got my attention going. I'm fine. In general, role playing itself, it's a great hobby. It's a lot of fun. A lot of board gamers start as role players. It's harder to bring board gamers into role playing, but we've successfully done it. Or at least Chris yes, has. So there it is, friends. Out of Game Podcast episode 23 is in the books. If you want to find more info on our podcast, you can go to our awesome webpage that I made in Notepad at outofgamepodcast.com. You can find us at BGG Guild 1990. You can navigate to our guild from the Notepad webpage I made by clicking on the Board Game Geek Guy. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Stitcher at OOG Podcast. And you can email us at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com can leave us a voicemail. I actually went out to our voicemail and made sure it was still active because no one's left us a voicemail since Kenneth spawned when, yeah. he, when he told us that Tim should join the podcast and that, and that the Dice Tower Network should get on it. So anyways, 40 OG OG 80 If you want to leave us a voicemail to play on the show or not, just leave a voicemail. Just do it because we want you to and you should. For more great podcasts of the Dice Tower Network, go to Dicetowernetwork.com. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night. I don't know who that was. Chris is looking at his phone right now. Super exciting. He's looking a little nervous, though. Jessica Wade. Question one, Ryan. When playing a game for the first time, how do you determine the number of players? Do you play with the maximum number, the minimum, or whoever happens to show up? (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) (laughs) I got tears in my eyes. Save us future, Ryan. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Oh. Boop, boop, boop. It's an three. interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think I'm okay though. <laughs> <laughs>